Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. talking about this uh, thought that we are better together, so I thought I might ought to mention a couple of things. Um, I I did a sermon a few weeks ago in this series, and in it I talked about the fact that you have to actually work to have fun. You understand what I'm saying? So we're better together. There's a men's retreat coming this weekend. You have to actually make effort to get there to, you know, experience the better together part. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that. So uh, they say that uh, one night away on a retreat is the equivalent of one year of relationship building in a normal church life. So think about that. You could leapfrog ahead <laughs> into priceless friendships. So uh, that's the first thing I want you to think about. Better together takes a little work. You have to put in some energy to actually be in relationship. It's not always the most convenient thing. It's probably enough. (laughs) A couple weeks from now, we're going to dedicate this building project. It's a 10 a.m. service on the parking lot. And I'm just saying to every service, I just explained to our friends over at our Pasadena campus, just because it's over there doesn't mean it's not for you. Those people want to know you, and you ought to want to know them. So let's all be together. It's not a Sunday off. It's a big deal. It's a great day for us to fellowship and celebrate and tell the stories and introduce you to some folks who have been instrumental in allowing us to be where we are. So be a part of that. Uh, we're, it just it seems ironic that we're talking about being better together. Uh, let's get together so we'll be better together. Amen. Synergy, it, it means, it's derived from two Greek words that mean synchronized energy, but the word that we have eventually taken from Greek to translate as energy actually means work. It means synchronized work. And if you can look right in the dictionary and it actually says uh, it, it literally means the sum is greater than the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts so synergy means that as we work together we get a result that is significantly more than just if you added us all up and said this is all the resource you have that there's some resonant third that happens you know some greater power that happens when people come together for a common purpose and a common cause And Paul is writing passionately about what it looks like for us to create that energy together. He's talking about what it means for the church of Jesus Christ. And and so if you think just for a moment about how we got our Bible and, you know, what's happening in the unfolding real time of the New Testament, this becomes a, a moment for us to understand a few things. So at the very beginning of the life of the church... We have the apostles who are trying to figure out what it means to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And they're doing it in real time. They're sending letters to churches to answer specific questions and to talk strategies and administrative realities and theological truths. That's what's going on. So the apostles are writing letters to the early churches explaining and working through all the issues of what it means to be the church. We call the letters the epistles. 
The first writings of the New Testament are the epistles, the letters of Paul and Peter and John and Jude. And then the early church really believed that Jesus was coming right back, that he was going to be right back. So they just needed to do the work and be committed and be sacrificial because Jesus would be right back. And then folks started to die. And as you read the epistles, as you get to the later letters, you find they are dealing with the issue that some people have died in Christ. And they're having to explain now, we didn't really think anybody would die before Jesus got back. Now we got to recalibrate our theology. And they do in very real time. And then as we move towards the end of the first century, somebody says, you know what? We probably should write down while the eyewitnesses are still alive We should probably write the whole gospel story. And so the gospels are the last of the New Testament written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each based on eyewitness accounts of what they heard and saw Jesus do and say. So as we read Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, which we know is a circular letter to the greater area, he's saying to them, I I want to explore what it means to have community in Christ, and I want to understand what it means for the church to fulfill its mission in being the body of Christ, and that involves synergy, and you hear it in the epistles. You hear the strategies of them thinking, if we all got together, if we ever all got together, and we got on mission, we would change the world. We would change the world, and you know what? They did. They did, and I would be a person that says, we still do. The church of Jesus Christ still has significant impact in shaping the world around us. The question really is, are we doing our best in that opportunity and in that mission? So there's several things going on in this passage that I think are important. And and I'll see if I can throw them all out to you. And then I'm going to read it to you. And then I hope it will all make sense and you'll all be changed and transformed. Now, in the first service, a couple people got up and left in the middle of the sermon. I'm trying to assume it was a Super Bowl party, but my feelings are hurt. I don't think it's controversial stuff. I just think it's important that we kind of lean in and do the exegesis. We're going to figure it out. So Paul says right at the front, I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. What calling? What's he talking about? Well, in the broadest sense, what he's going to then unfold is, in the broadest sense of the word, we are living out the calling that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, that he has a powerful purpose in the world, and that is to help people, to redeem people, to redeem the world. That in this overarching worldview that we have is a missional worldview. It's a calling we have to be a part of God making the world a better place and helping individual people to find their purpose and meaning, to find their way in the world. Amen? We generally believe this. This is who we are. This is our high-level calling. We're a part of God's great purposes in the world. We're a piece of it. We believe in your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are sort of living that up in our heads. Amen? We're part of it. We're part of it. That's why we're here. Because we're a part of it. We're a part of it. And then in the middle he says this weird thing. 
He says, and then he descended, and then he ascended, and if he ascended, didn't he descend? And if he had to descend, he must have ascended. And, and you're like, whoa, I have no idea what you're talking about. He's quoting from Psalms, and what he's referencing is he's referencing when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, and then Moses went up the mountain and received the law. That's what that Psalms is about. Everybody still with me? All right. And so he, he's basically saying, I want you to think about the great paradigm of deliverance. He's raising the stakes. I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. But I want you to have this image in your mind that God allowed the children of Israel to exit their literal captivity. They broke their bonds and they walked out free people. And as they walked out free people, they were guided to the mountain of God. And then they were given the law to say, I don't want you to just be free. I want you to shape the world. And here's how some things will work for you to shape it. Everybody with me? And you go, oh, okay. That was a weird digression. But clearly his audience is better connected to some of that than maybe we are. But that's not all he means by this. Because he's also referencing and actually using this psalm in reference to Jesus instead of Moses. Well, that makes sense theologically because there's two great deliverance stories in the Bible. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. And the one in the Old Testament is Moses and the literal deliverance of the children of Israel and the literal giving of the law. But the second one takes place in the death, resurrection, ascension, and the birth of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Amen. That's the second pillar. And, he, and you know that the Feast of Pentecost is a celebration of the first fruits, but it's also a celebration of the giving of the law. And it's on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit pours out on the church. We consider it the birthday of the church. And people spill out into the streets speaking in tongues. And what are we told? Every person heard in their own language. These ill-equipped people were equipped to speak so that every person heard the way they needed to hear so that the gospel message was being infused into the world. Everybody with me with all the imagery that's happening in this little simple piece of writing? That is all going on here. And so he's not content to say, let's be a part of this calling up here because he's going to push now. And, and after he creates this image of, you know Moses, they delivered over there. But then Jesus came and he delivered all people everywhere, all the time, for all eternity. And then he poured out his spirit individually and specifically on people so they could get busy. So they're not just a part of this overarching vision of the kingdom of God. They're a part of this very specific synergy in which their contribution and their gifts join together with the people around them. And the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I used this illustration in the first service, and I said I probably wouldn't use it in the second service, but I'm going to. Because <laughs> it's a very clumsy, awkward illustration. Is everybody ready? Okay. Today, there is a, a game of some kind going on later today, <laughs> the Super Bowl. And as I was uh, coming in to Pasadena this morning, I was chatting with a person over there that I know to be a football fan. I said, so who are you rooting for today? And he said, yeah, I kind of like them both. I don't really care who wins. It's like, well, you're going to have a good day. 
And I said, uh, I'm on the other end of that. I don't like either one of them. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm not, no matter what happens, going to be happy. At the end. I'm pretty sure somebody's got to win. I, I, I don't think my side of it's going to work. You're going to be fine. But my side of it's not going to be great. But I don't care all that much. But there are people today that are really twisted up in this thing. And some of them are so twisted up. Now, I'm not saying if it weren't some other teams involved that I wouldn't be twisted. I'm just saying today I'm not twisted up. But some people are so twisted up that they're putting their money where their mouth is. I said it was awkward. I think that's what Paul is saying. I think he's saying, I know you kind of are saying there's a game. And you know who's in it. And you know who you're rooting for. I want you to put your money where your mouth is. I want you to get involved. I don't want you to just believe in the cause. I want you to have skin in the game. I want you to care about the outcomes. I want you to use the gifts God has given you to get intimately into. That was a terrible illustration, wasn't it? I probably won't use it next service. If you just keep apologizing for it, you can use it all day. And then people are like, I can't believe he said that. But I know he felt bad, so I guess it's okay. So listen now to the powerful words. Because Paul has all of this in his mind. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us has been given, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned. And this is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, in, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Powerful, beautiful writing. The kind of writing we expect out of a person like Paul who has been highly and deeply educated but also highly and deeply transformed by the power of God has seen some things that most of us don't see and experienced some things that most of us don't experience. And so he's saying, this is my prayer for you. I see several things that encourage our synergy together. Number one, synergy requires 
devotion. Requires devotion. As a prisoner uh, for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It just means that you and I are going to be the folks who prayerfully are saying to God, keep pruning me. Amen? I'm not done. I know there are things that I need to do way less of. Let's try that again. I know there are things I need to do way less of. I, I know there are some things in my life that need to be trimmed up. They, they need to be cleaned up. They're not exactly what you called and invited me to be. And, and I'm not going to, you know, I think when you, this is the stage of the sermon when they go, I hope he doesn't get specific. <laughs> That'll be awkward. And then if I did get specific, people would be like, Phew. he didn't get to mine. <laughs> But we all have them. We all have them. And so what we do collectively is we prayerfully pray, God, search me, God. Know my heart. Trim me up. Clean me. Show me. Guide me. There are some things that I need to stop doing. There are some other things I need to start doing. And I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to do work in me. I want, to, I want that intimate relationship. I want to belong to a body of believers who are constantly seeking and asking, God, teach me. Teach me. Teach me. You show me. Because here's the thing that's kind of unique. All of us come from different backgrounds and different places. And so God is guiding all of us in unique ways. Are we open to that? Are we serious about that? God, help me. Teach me. Convict me. Allow me to surrender in an ongoing... I want to be a repentant person. I want to live in a repentant attitude. I want to listen I want to pray every day, God, search, search me, help me. And I want it to be very fine-tuned. I don't just want to be, I want even, you know, may the thoughts and the emotions be ordered. I want you to do work down in those deep places where I live because synergy requires, requires a kind of devotion together. We're in this cause. We're working to grow and mature and get deeper and be more obedient. Number two. Synergy requires humility. Be completely humble. Synergistic energy doesn't just happen. We have to get real humble. Because who wants to lock arms with people who are prideful? Anybody? No, we don't really want to. That humility says, I I'm the person that rushes to serve. I don't need to be served. I rush to serve. Jesus said, whoever wants to be greatest among you to be the servant of all. He, he, he continuously is practicing a kind of, of humility that is overwhelming to our senses. Amen? I mean, we keep wanting him to smite some people. Amen? I mean, if you'd have written a Bible, wouldn't there be a few places where you go, and then the temple collapsed on all of those pious people. And everyone's faith was really helped. You know? He just keeps being humble. He just, he just keeps serving. On the night that he's arrested, the disciples will not wash each other's feet because they're arguing about who will be greatest in the kingdom. Knowing where he had come from. And knowing where he was going. He rose from the table, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around him, and he began to wash their feet. If I, your Lord and Savior, wash your feet, 
how much more should you wash one another's feet? This humility should infect our homes. It should infect our relationships, our, our relationships with our spouses and with our children, a humility, a, a, an urgency to serve, a willingness to dive in and do the work that needs to get done. Synergy requires humility. Synergy requires gentle. Everybody doing okay? Man, we're doing so good. I can, time-wise, man, we're great. I can slow down and, or I'll just, I'll just stretch it out and make it more. <laughs> just kidding. When the notes are out, they're out. Synergy requires gentleness. Be completely humble and be gentle. These words, humility and gentleness, you, you have to appreciate how counterculture they are as Paul writes them. The Greeks did not consider these to be virtues. In fact, they considered them to be deficits. If you were, if you, were you know, uh, humble and you were gentle, uh, you were going to get run over. And I think we still kind of believe that. We still kind of believe that. I want you to practice a kind of gentleness. As Christians, what we believe is that we're subject to God's word. We, we, we read the word, we pray, we, we work to apply it in the situations and circumstances of our life and our culture. It's sort of our uncompromising beginning point. And because we recognize that we're not in charge, we are children of God. We are following after God and we're following after his word. So therefore, we do not live in such a way that we pretend we're in charge. We're not the smartest people in the room all the time. See humility. But we're also gentle. We're also gentle. And it's a real time sort of check. Why is he saying this? Because it's really hard to practice synergy. It's hard to join arms if we don't have a devoted humility and gentleness. It's hard. It's hard to, to really get it. Because you know what? We all believe what we believe and we believe we're right. Amen. Or if we didn't believe we were right, we'd do something else. We'd believe something else. But we believe we're right. That's why we landed where we landed. The trick is not to become too entrenched there. Amen. Not to become too dogmatic there. Because dogmatism doesn't lend itself to gentleness. So we're in this space in which we practice a gentleness. Because why? Because we know God's in charge. It's not like we don't care about the outcome. It's not like we don't believe there's a right way for it. We just understand we're not personally in charge of every situation all the time. God is. And we trust that. And Paul calls us into that space. And then he says, I want you to have patience. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Now, his next word is, and I want you to bear with one another in love. The Greek there is the word we would normally translate forbearance. And forbearance is often the word that gets translated patience. But here, they're two distinct words. I want you to be patient, and I want you to be forbearing. Patience now, in this context, specifically means I want you to be really patient with people who have wronged you. I want you to be patient with people who are wrong. If you know someone who is wrong, would you please raise your hand? I'm just kidding. Do not raise your hand. That's not, that's not. I could ask a follow-up. And if the person who is wrong lives in your house. No, I don't. Like He's very specifically talking about this. He's saying, and you should know this, some people are going to wrong you. And when people wrong you, you're going to need to implement patience. They're works in progress. 
You don't have to go after vengeance. You don't have to go after, you know, justice. Be patient with one another. Be patient with one another. Synergy requires patience because sometimes people are wrong. Sometimes their ideas are wrong. It's not a, a little-known fact. It's a, it is a true thing that happens to us. And, it, and something in our insides, you know. So he says, I want you to be patient with each other in the wrongness. Remember where we are. We're way down the list now. So, so don't forget where we are. Be devoted. So, you know, it's not just a crazy kind of wrongness. It's just in this devotion, gentleness, you know, we're, we're moving into this space where we're patient with one another. And boy, we need that. Man, we need that in our culture, in our world. May not be anything more counterculture. And then I want you to be forbearing with one another. Bear with one another in love. Now he has a different thing in mind. <laughs> I want you to be forbearing with people because of their weaknesses. They're not just wrong, they're also weak. That's a nice way of saying, they're not just wrong, they're annoying. <laughs> Amen? Amen? I shared with you last week, I, I was just coming off this trip in which I you know, was on multiple airplanes and then on a ship with a very large mass of humanity, and, and I really have not detoxed yet. I'm still kind of vibrating with peopleness, you know? <laughs> and I don't think it's a surprise that people have weaknesses. They have weaknesses. They do weird stuff. And most of us have some... I mean, I, was, I, I recognize this in myself. I grew up being taught a bunch of stuff, and some of it's weird. I know none of you have experience. I know none of your parents taught you weird stuff. <laughs> that all of your parents only taught you good stuff. My mom had a very strange relationship with food, and that is she grew up under Depression-era parents who were pastors, and she had five siblings, including her, six including her. They were very poor. Food was sacred. In my house, food was, I grew up with sacred food on every plate at every meal. Anybody else grow up like that? So my mom put food in front of us. We did not question food that was put in front of us. I mean, we did in our heads, <laughs> but we didn't out loud. And then my mom would say, if you didn't finish, she would say these words to you. I'm sorry, I guess it wasn't very good. <laughs> so what would you do? You clean your plate. And if you clean your plate, guess what my mom said? I guess I didn't make enough. You know how much anxiety I have when I eat? I just, you know. Weird. It's weird stuff. There's weaknesses, you know. I mean, my kids will look at me sometimes and say, what are you doing? Well, I mean, there's another pee on here. I got to finish it up. I don't want anybody in the kitchen to have their feelings hurt. That would be. We have weird stuff. And how do we deal with the weird stuff? We are forbearing with one another. Oh, the person, I don't like them. They talk so loud. How can we have synergy 
if we don't learn the power of patience and forbearance with each other. Because we are annoying. <laughs> Amen? Amen? And this is the news. The people we love most that surround us in our families, we, we still find them annoying. Much less people we don't know that well, and we're like, I don't have to be nice to you. I don't really know you. But in the kingdom of God, we take these next steps. Why? Well, because there's an overarching mission for us. We believe we're a part of the plan of God to create the kingdom of God alive on earth. And that's not all we believe. We believe he's given us specific gifts. We're not just, a, we're putting our money where our mouth was. We have skin in the game. He's equipped us to do something. And we're building this synergistic body of Christ. Patience, forbearance, and then... The synergy requires unity. There's one God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. This is why we can be patient with, we, and we can be devoted and we can be patient and we can be forbearing and we can be gentle. Because why? Because there's just one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And, and we're all in this together. And it is the same Holy Spirit that's teaching you and leading you and leading me. And, and we're going to keep working at that and holding that up. We're going to keep holding up the word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're going to say, that's where we're going. That's what we're doing. That's where all, we may not have all things in common down here. And we don't, do we? And our differences come from all kinds of things. How we were raised, what our faith was growing up, if we had none growing up, what our ethnicity is, what our background is. We're all coming from different places. And what we trust is that the power of God is working in everybody's life all the time. And here's what brings us together. We're all heading in the same place. We all have the same goal. And what does Paul call it out? He calls it out. He names it. That we all grow up into full maturity into the one who is the head, Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants blown back and forth by every kind of teaching. Because we're all heading in the same place. And we're locking arms. And we're going together. Finally, number seven, he says, see, I didn't tell you today there were seven points because I knew it would depress you. Synergy requires commitment. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he does the digression in the Psalms verse. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. And then he ends this section by saying, as each part does its work. In the old days, this sermon now would be closed with a, here's a list of jobs in the church that we need you to do. And we're going to open the altar. And as God leads you to teach junior high boys. Because in the old days, we thought that service in the community of faith meant you were going to teach, you were going to sing or play an instrument. And really, that was about, oh, you might do some hospitality. You might be able to, can you cook? Are you willing to bring food for other people? Okay, you're in. Those were really the three, the three real jobs in the church. We don't think of it that way anymore. Somewhere along the way, we got enlightened. And this is what we think now. God has equipped you. God has given you a gift. Don't know what it is. Don't know exactly how it works. But as you offer that to God, we'll find a way to use it. And it might not get used right inside the walls of the church itself. It might be used in some powerful way in another place. It might be used at where you work. It might be used in some other organization. Maybe, you know, you're a gifted and you coach something and you, 
teach something. We just believe that every one of us are equipped to do something, not just at this higher level of the mission and purpose of God in the world, but at this very specific level where he descended and gave gifts to his people to build up the kingdom of God. We need skin in the game. Amen? Amen. And we seek it. We pray it. We ask, God, teach me. Show me where you and how you, and I may be already doing way more than I think. I want to be sure you hear me. Some of you are dramatically serving the kingdom of God, but you don't think you are because you're not doing it at the church. Will you pray this week? God, show me. (laughs) Show me the ways in which you're using me. You might be using me at work. You might be using me at school. You might be using me in ways that I, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but just being a pleasant human being is a mission. (laughs) Amen? I mean, have you noticed people like this? that just have a warmth about them and they strike up conversations with people. People are lonely and they're disconnected and some of you are gifted. You're gifted. That's a part of the kingdom of God, being salt and being light. It's not narrowly defined, it's broadly defined. Let's identify who we are. Let's pray for God's insight into who we are and what our giftedness is and how we might be used in the kingdom of God. And as we join arms together, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And we can change the world in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Listen, the church has been doing it for thousands of years. Let's don't stop. And don't you ever believe that it doesn't matter. And don't you ever believe it's not making a difference. I'm telling you right now, there are people around this world who are being fed because of the generosity and passion of the church of Jesus Christ. There is health care being poured out at no cost because of the passion of the people of Jesus Christ. There are orphans being adopted. There is intervention into the needed. I promise you, if you go to the Ukraine today, you're going to find Christians who are there on the ground caring for refugees. You'll find them all over the world. Don't you believe the stuff that says we are irrelevant in this world? We are not. We are not. But there's a second question. Just because we're not irrelevant in the world doesn't mean we're doing our best Let's do our best for the kingdom. God, as we close and sing these words, I'll go where you want me. We don't just want to be people that are living a commitment at some high level, that we acquiesce to the truth, that we are a part of the body of Christ and the purposes of God. We, we want to get at that very specific level of how do you want to use me? And where do you want to use me? And how are you already using me in ways that I haven't really thought about? And so I pray as we sing this closing song that you would do work in our hearts for folks in overflow, for folks that are watching online, for folks that are going to watch later in the week. I, I pray that each of us is just praying this prayer. Show me. Show me where you want me. Show me how I can be a part of this great mission and purpose of the kingdom of God alive on earth. And as you do that, I'm going to surrender to you. Do work in each of our hearts, we pray, as we close these service and as we sing these words. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Will you stand as we respond to the word? Oh, the same.
Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.